1: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Ozzaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we'll hear the final message in a series looking at the final week of Jesus' life before the cross and resurrection, and it's called Seven Days. And spoiler alert, here's what this whole thing is about. It's about love. Regardless of our past, we all have a reason to say with absolute certainty, I am loved. You can embrace the hope that comes from the transforming power of love because Jesus took your pain and shame and hurt. The message today is called, Sometimes Love Hurts. You can follow along with the notes and discussion questions for your own Bible study on the media page for this series, Seven Days, as seen at reallife.org. But if you have a Bible nearby, Pastor Sean is teaching from Matthew 26 and put a marker in Leviticus 16, It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
0: Remember where we started? We started, actually, uh, with the passage that we celebrate today, Palm Sunday. We started with the triumphal entry of Jesus. And remember what we said? The big message is, he is king. Then we saw Jesus, in our next week, we saw him cleanse the temple. And we said, the main thing is, keep the main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is? Prayer. Prayer. But it is, and the reason is because the whole thing with the cross, the whole thing with the rest, all of it was so that we could experience and live the life God created us for. He created us to have a meaningful, vibrant relationship with Him. And that happens through prayer. And so, man, we can, we can fight for all these different things, and we can say, hey, we want to spread Jesus, whatever, but when we don't pray, we're like missing the whole point. It's communion, relationship with Him. And that prayer is a vibrant, daily, interactive relationship with the Father. And then last week, we talked about one of those final conversations Jesus had where He talked to His disciples about persecution. He said it's real. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Persecuted me, they will persecute you. And we talked about that. And he said, but the good news is you're not alone. We talked about persecution in the presence. The key or the secret to navigating persecution is experiencing the presence, his presence in us, and that changes us. Well, today we're going to talk about how sometimes love hurts. And as I was getting ready for this, I was doing some reading. I read some excerpts from an article. In fact, I read the article, a 2016 Esquire magazine interview with Clint and Scott Eastwood. Scott is his son. Remember, Scott Eastwood started having some bit roles in some of his dad movies, but he's now starting to step out and do some different things. He's kind of stepping out on his own. And so they did a kind of cool, interesting interview with the two of them. When Esquire Magazine asked Clint, they said, if you're going to go look at your life as material, how would you describe the narrative? Because he's been doing more directing now. You know, he's a director. If you were looking at your life as material, how would you describe the narrative? And here was The senior Eastwood's response, he said, I don't look at my life too much. I'm always looking forward, not backwards. A lot of times people get a certain age and they quit. That's what he said. Well, actually, what he probably said was, they get a certain age and they quit. And it was awesome when he said it. I mean, you're just like, oh. I wonder if the guy was like, oh, right. And he squinted at me. (laughs) I thought he was going to kill me. But you see, you know, he, his whole point is, man, it doesn't matter. He's an old man, but he's still working. He's still creating. He's still moving forward. That was his whole point. Well, then they asked this question. I think it's a really insightful question. They asked Scott how he forges his own identity while being the son of Clint Eastwood, which would be kind of daunting, right? The younger Eastwood said, I just do what he does, what he just said. I keep moving forward. You can't look back or think about that kind of stuff too much. You just keep making movies, keep working thought that was good. But something interesting, this all is moving forward, not thinking, not reflecting. Uh, Later in the interview, as Scott left the room, in a moment of complete candor, he said this. Remember what he said about it? You don't look back, you don't reflect much. He said, you always wonder if you could have done more. You could have spent more time with my son, could have spent a little more attention. He said, I had that regret when my dad died. This is Clint Eastwood speaking. He said, because it was sudden. I don't know. It wasn't like he had an ailment or something. I used to live close enough to him that I could have dropped in a lot more. I never did. I was busy, always busy, doing all the films. That just that little sense of, man, I missed the big moments. I missed some of the important stuff. You ever felt like that? Maybe that like you missed big moments because you didn't recognize them at big, as big moments. Maybe when you're in the middle of it, something else seems more important. Something else seems bigger. But yet, you come to understand, no, 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 these are big moments. I wonder if we could take Clint back, if we had a time machine, could take him back to some of those moments, would his sense of urgency be different? Would he still miss those important moments? This morning, as we open the Word, we're going to look at some people who missed an unbelievably important moment. Later on, they would realize how significant it was, but in the moment, they just didn't. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to pick up at verse 36. Matthew 26. This is that passage, a very well-known passage. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at what the Word says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus often had these three guys. These were his closest. He was training them for leadership. And they had many of these little moments where it was just them and the Lord. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Listen to this. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is different. We've seen Jesus in some intense emotional situations, but not like this. We're going to see that this was significant. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watching me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, and he went away once more, and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And we know what happened from there. Judas Iscariot comes. He's got some temple guards with him, some others, the priests. And they arrest Jesus. They take him, they put him on trial, and ultimately they crucify him. We know that story. This Friday, we'll remember Good Friday. And we'll remember that. But what's fascinating, I want to take a just stop and look at the garden, because there's a lot here. We're told it's the garden, it's called Gethsemane, which simply means, the words mean, it means an olive press. It's the name, it means an olive press. John tells us the place was an olive grove. It wasn't just any garden, it was an olive grove. So that name, Olive Press, Gethsemane, is appropriate because Jesus would be pressed like never before. In that phrase, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Nowhere in the Gospels do we see Jesus like this. Yes, we see him, we see him weep over the city because it's, they're missing the deliverance. We see him weep over people grieving. and We see him angry. We see him emotional. We see him fiery. We see him compassionate. We never see him like this. My soul is. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what's fascinating, I think he truly needed his friend's support. He reaches out and he shares this with them. This is Peter, James, and John. He says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. It's killing me. He truly needed his friend's support. I mean, you just see the humanity and the vulnerability of Jesus. This is Jesus, the person reaching out to those closest to him. And we also see how friends can fail us. You ever had friends fail you? I mean, this was not malicious. These guys aren't like, oh, Jesus, we're tired of your yapping, da-da-da-da-da. No, not at all. They just missed it. They were just missing the critical nature of this moment. And sometimes friends can fail us. But what's interesting is God never does. And maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Somebody may have failed you, but you need to know God never does. Look what Luke tells us. Luke gives us in chapter 22, beginning at verse 43, gives us a little additional insight. We're told an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So while his friends weren't as supportive as they could have been, God heard his prayer. He strengthened him and supported him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Listen to this. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. People have made a lot out of what that means, and I think it means exactly what it says. The drops of blood are a metaphor. The difference between drops of blood is they're thick, so they're bigger. And you're saying these huge drops of sweat, that's the travail, that's the emotion, that's the agony that Jesus is going through. Can you picture him crying out, praying, sweating? He's under the most incredible stress. And I want to suggest his reaction stems from his true understanding of what was really happening. Now, understand this. When Jesus came and became one of us, he voluntarily laid aside some of his rights and privileges as God. We know he was fully human and he was fully divine. But he voluntarily laid down some of those things. So there's moments where we're told, Jesus says, only the Father knows. I don't know. And there's other times where Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen because the Father reveals it to him. So he's walking in some ways in his divinity, but then other ways in his humanity. So we don't know how much of the details of what was about to happen on the cross he really knew. What we do know is he understood what, was, what he was there for. And he knew the time is here. I'm to be offered up. And I think he truly understood what was about to happen. Because, and, and I think for us to understand that, we have to really look back at the Hebrew Day of Atonement. The Hebrew Day of Atonement. It, today it's celebrated as Yom Kippur. And once a year, on behalf of the people, there were all kinds of offerings. People would bring offerings to the Lord, offerings for sin and things like that. But once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place, and he would make atonement for the people and for their sins. And they understood Father would hear, and he would forgive, and they could live in right relationship with God because of that atonement.
1: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in this message called Sometimes Love Hurts, which is available right now on the media page at reallife.org. Just look for the series called Seven Days, where there you can even watch a video podcast of this message and series. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
0: But it's interesting how he would do it. They were told to get a bull and two goats. And listen to what, how those were used. This is Leviticus chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. We're told Aaron, who was the high priest, is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. So the bull was an offering just for him and his household. He's going to go before the Lord. He better be clean. He better understand and have made atonement for himself lest the white, hot holiness of God take his life. So he makes atonement for himself and for his household. Then he's to take the two goats, now this is interesting, and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He's to cast lots for the two goats. Now you don't pick. You cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. We'll see what that means in a minute. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. We understand the idea of sacrifice. The point was there can be, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin because one of the penalties of sin, the primary penalty of sin is death. So this represents a death penalty being paid, atonement being made, justice being satisfied. So this goat whose lot falls to the Lord, sacrifice it as a sin offering for the people. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Separation. That's Leviticus 16. You see, because of this, every single Jew had an annual reminder, the Day of Atonement, of the weight and the ramification of sin. And what's interesting is when you think about sin, you think we talk about the two primary effects of sin, death and separation. Well, there's two goats, each representing one of the ramifications of sin, one of the results of sin, first is death. Sin always kills everything it touches. It incurs a right and just death penalty, according to the scriptures. But separation is also a constant consequence of sin. Separation from God, separation from other relationships. And what's fascinating is in, it's this idea of the scapegoat. You had the one goat, that would be a representation of death and pay the penalty. But the other represented the separation and the sin being removed. And Jesus was about to face both of those penalties. He was about to take the place of both of those goats once and for all on the cross. And he knew that. He was going to face death and separation. Which is worse? You decide. Is it two sides of the same coin? Maybe. But regardless, he's in the garden and he understands that a new day of atonement is about to happen. And on this time, there's no other high priest, there's no other goats, there's no other sacrifices. It's him. He was going to face both, death and separation on the cross. He makes that phrase and says the prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from my lips. It's interesting. You have to remember where they just came from. They just had celebrated the Passover meal together. They just passed the cup. He had raised up the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That was the third of four cups Jesus lifted at the Passover meal, the new covenant in his blood. It's called the cup of redemption. It represented God's people Remember, they're remembering the Passover, God's deliverance from Egypt. That cup was, represented both wrath and redemption because the Egyptians got the wrath. They refused to let God's people go. They got the wrath in the Passover. God's people got the redemption because of putting their trust, and because of the blood on the doorposts. And that's what that cup represented. And I find it fascinating that Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from my lips. Is it possible Jesus was desperate to see redemption? But he wasn't looking forward to dealing with the wrath and bearing the wrath. I mean, is there ever a better illustration of the tug-of-war of his humanity and his divinity? Father, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from my lips. I want the redemption, God. That's why I'm here. But I don't want the wrath. And what's the tiebreaker between the humanity and the divinity? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Obedience is always the tiebreaker, right? Because it's not about how we feel. Jesus says, it's not about how I feel, Father. Your will be done. I stop and think about the garden. I think about him there. I think about the cross. What drove Jesus to do what he did? What was it that brought him to that place? You guys remember the song, The Rose? Okay? The Rose, first recorded by Bette Midler for the soundtrack of the film, The Rose. However, what's interesting is Bette Midler didn't write the song, and it wasn't written for that movie. Composer Amanda Brown recalls this. He said, I wrote it in 1977 or 78, and I would sing it occasionally in clubs. According to McBroom, she's the one who wrote it, Amanda McBroom, According to McBroom, she wrote The Rose in response to her manager's suggestion that she write some, quote, Bob Seger-type tunes to expedite a record deal. Let me just say, if you're a songwriter here, that's always a good suggestion. Write some Bob Seger-type tunes, okay? Just go do that. So she obliged by writing The Rose in 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Said McBroom, the Rose is just one verse. Musically, repeated three times. It's like, it's just this little ditty. When I finished it, I realized it doesn't have a bridge, doesn't have a hook, but I couldn't think of anything to add. i like, oh, well, I guess it's no good. And it's The Rose. Her composition was one of seven songs selected by Bette Midler from 30 songs that had been offered by Paul Rothschild, the producer of the album. Reportedly, Rothschild had listened to over 3,000 songs in order to assemble those 30. You have to understand, each of those thirty was a an amazing song. It's an amazing song. So out of that, the theme, the movie's named after it, is this song, The Rose. And who doesn't love the rose? Guys, I know you love that song. Your secret's safe with me. I know when you get in your pickup truck, you roll the windows up. But I say love I know, I know. Okay? I've been there. I don't judge you. What is it? Because you know all those songs were beautiful songs, right? All of them were beautiful songs. I think there's something, it's the question that this song addresses. What really is love? What's the essence of it? It's common to all of us. We've experienced love. We've given love. We've had our hearts broken when in love. And the song is this, Haunting when you listen to it. You can't help but be drawn into these lyrics. Remember the first verse? Some say love, it's a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it's a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger and endless aching need. But I say love is a flower and you, it's only seed. And as I think of the power of those words, and I think of the garden, I think of Jesus in the garden, you know, the rose of Sharon, as he's biblically referred to. I say, love, it is a Savior who gave his life for me. You see, I think what we're seeing in the Garden of Gethsemane and then ultimately at the cross I think we are seeing the greatest instance of love the world has ever seen. I think we're seeing love on display in the most amazing, powerful, even shocking of expressions. In fact, main point, I want you to write this down. It's real simple. If you ever want to know what love looks like, just look at the cross. If you ever want to know what love looks like, Look no farther than the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus made a statement. This is John 15, 13. This is a few hours earlier. He's in that upper room. It's on that night he's betrayed. And he's talking with the disciples in this conversation. Somewhere between that upper room and this garden, this conversation started in the room. It moved. It went on. Jesus says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Can you imagine his disciples hearing that? They didn't understand its significance at that moment, but it's a great statement, right? i like, wow, Jesus, that's awesome, that's tweet-worthy. Jesus, if we had Twitter, we'd tweet that. That's a good, that's a good saying, but I don't know if they understood the weight of it yet. Within 24 hours, they would. Can you imagine seeing him on the cross? He's been crucified. He's gone. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Oh, that's what he meant. That's what it looks like. If you ever want to know what love looks like, just look at the cross. The most incredible expression of love. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering this week. We call it Holy Week. Because on display for everyone to see is a divine love that surpasses anything any of us could ever imagine. A couple ways that that impacts you and I. First thing, Jesus loved me enough to take my place. Jesus loved me enough to take my place. You, you need to understand that was rightfully my cross, that was rightfully my judgment. And it was yours too. It was ours. I mean, we need, to, we need to make this very personal. Jesus took my place. He took your place. He took our place. You see, sin is one of those things that Scripture says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. Sin, the definition, people kind of go back and forth on the actually English word sin, supposedly an old archery term, and it meant missing the mark. It meant missing the mark of sin. And there's a couple different ways that we kind of miss the mark. Romans one eighteen really gives you kind of the two sides or two different manifestations of sin that are primary in the human condition. Look what it says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Note those two phrases, godlessness and wickedness. That really is the two faces of sin, the two expressions of sin. Godlessness simply says there is no God, and even if there is, I don't have to respond to him. I can deny his existence, I can pretend he's not there, and the idea is, you know, in us, there's something in us that wants to be in charge. That's the core of the sin nature is godlessness. And if I can explain him away, if I can pretend he's not there, if I can say in spite of this amazing world with all this stuff that we can't explain, but if I can just say, no, 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 there's no God. This is all an accident. In spite of the fact that the more we know from science, the more technology we have to be able to explore further, it's like more mysteries unfold. It's like, wow. The more we think we know, the less we know.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azzaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Sometimes Love Hurts or this whole series on the final seven days of Jesus' life before the resurrection, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.